Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Wednesday evening. Joining me from New York City is Tim Bonta. Hello, everybody. And joining us from Dallas, Texas, where I think you're getting ready to fly to Denver, Van McMahon. Howdy, partners. And our special guest for our yes. finals for you know, game one podcast, joining us from Sacramento, from his backyard in Sacramento, <laughs> reigning NBA coach mm. of the year, Sacramento Kings head coach, Mike Brown. What's up, everybody? Hello, Mike. How are you? Good. How you doing, B? You doing all right? Hey man, I'll, I've been home for two days after 18 days on the road. So <laughs> just now, just now getting acclimated. We have um, not gotten a windy sleep update, but we do have a travel update. That's right. Um, More importantly, we're fired up. You're here. This is awesome. Yeah. I remember your first finals. You've been to many finals as uh, an assistant. I remember your first finals as a head coach. What were you doing on the eve of your first finals coaching game? Do you remember? I, 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 I don't, what I do remember is we were so excited as a team. I'll, I'll never forget. We get off the bus and we're about to stretch in San Antonio. And I think it was Mike Bansias was walking around with a camcorder recording a stretch. <laughs> and, and I was just like, Oh, shit. well, I don't know if I can say that, but I was like, Oh, crap. You know? like we're, we're, we're so excited to be here where we we're recording our guys stretching. So I go over to Mike or whoever it was. I said, I said, what are you doing? He, he goes, well, the players wanted me to document, uh, you know, this, this whole thing. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, we might be, we might be in trouble. Well, nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, LeBron would have his whole film crew in there. He wouldn't. Exactly. On but, hey, this is this is how much I changed. I mean, you knew me from back in the day, Brian. I, we have we have like two or three people from our group that follow us around to every single practice, every single shoot around there, and all our team meetings, our coaches meetings, pregame, postgame, with freaking cameras and all this. <laughs> and I got used to it. I got used to it. I'm like, I can't believe I let this. I, Hey, it is what it is, but we got cameras in there now. It's a, yeah. it's a Twitter and Instagram world. You got to feed the fan base. You're 100% correct. Well, here's and what I know. We're feeding them. <laughs> when I met you, when you would, if you lost a game 89 to 88, you would, I, we'd go and say, hey, Mike, what happened? How come we lost? And you'd say, we should have given up 87. Yes. And now <laughs> I watch the Sacramento Kings play. And it's like full speed. Guys are leaving, are leaving skid marks going up and down the court. You're like, well, we only scored 130 tonight. We were a little off. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. What, 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 what happened? Well, we should have scored 137. <laughs> if I just showed 2006 Mike Brown tape of you coaching in 2023, you wouldn't have, you'd have passed out on the floor. Um, but it, it, I wouldn't believe it. It just shows the way the game changes. So you actually, in 2005, when you got to the Cavs, hired this fresh-faced, hot-tempered, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was full of vinegar back then. Yes. Uh, assistant coach, Mike. Hey, he, true or false, he went by Mike back then. Did he not go by Mike back then? I, when I heard, because I, I didn't actually see it, but when I heard the story, I was like, what? I don't think I <laughs> 
I don't think I've ever called him Michael one time in, 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 Thank in you. my life. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. You know, be fine. I'm actually a little scared to call him Michael. I, I thought about doing it. I said, you know, when I see him, I'm going to call him, excuse me, call him Mike. When I see him, I'll call him Mike and see what happens. You know, see if we get <laughs> just the cuff in there. <laughs> Mike, I feel the exact same way. I, I want to joke with him, but yeah. sometimes you can't joke with him. He, he's a very, very intense man, but he's good natured when he's in a good mood, but he's, he's a very intense man. So since you've known him for so long, yeah. what do you think about your former protege leading this team to the finals starting, uh, you know, on Thursday? I, I tell you what, man, he, he's a, he's a great coach. He, he works his tail off. Uh, he knows exactly what he wants to do uh, every second of the day with his group with whoever's in front of him, with himself. You know, the preparation is second to none. And uh, he's got a tremendous feel. He's, you know, he's been around the game a long time, starting with his dad growing up. You know, he played at a, a high level. He, he's coached, uh, you know, he coached in college with some great coaches. He coached uh, in the pros with some great coaches and great organizations. He's been around a long time. I, he, he will have his team prepared, you know, for sure. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, you, you know, the, the, the one thing, that will be interesting is we all know that Miami has a has a will about them that probably no other team has. And I don't know if you can prepare for that, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and in my opinion, uh, that would be one advantage that Miami may have at the end of the day. I don't know who's going to win the series. I just hope it's a, 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 a great playoff series or a final series. But Miami's will – in my opinion, is is unmatched, and that's why they're sitting in the NBA Finals right now as they see it in the East. Is there is there something, Mike? Obviously, you've now been to the Finals a bunch of times as a coach. Yep. Um, is, is there something to the fact that Denver hasn't has a bunch of guys who haven't, other than like you know KCP, I guess Jeff Green have been there once. Everybody else hasn't been there. Is there something to be said for being on that stage? for the first time, as opposed to Miami with Eric, who's coached now in a bunch of finals games. And, you know, Jimmy's obviously been there and, and that whole group basically was a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, obviously being there a handful of times or however many times Miami has, especially with Spo, I, I think, you know, that there is a little bit of advantage to that, you know, and, and uh, you'll tell really on, you'll tell really early on uh, as to whether or not that's going to, uh, come into play, you, you know, it, it usually happens right away and, and the series is over uh, rather quickly, whether it's, you know, four or five games, if that comes into play, uh, you know, Mike, the, the way he's been coaching his team, at least from the outside looking in and the, the way he's given that group confidence, you know, the way he talks, at least to the media, if he talks that way to his team, then those guys expect to be there. Not only do they expect to be there, they expect to win. And that can overcome a lot of your inexperience in situations like this. So uh, it, it, it'll be an interesting deal, uh, this finals, just some of the, uh, the, the mental uh, components behind it that uh, won't really go, uh, won't, won't really be seen by a lot of people. You know, something else that can overcome experience is the ability to give the ball to a two-time MVP, a guy who easily could have won his third MVP this year and, and yeah. let him go to work. When you're preparing to play Joker, what are you trying to take away from him? How, like, how can you make 
this guy who's flinging up all kinds of off-balance shots, bullying his way to the rim, arguably the best passer in the league. How can you try to make him uncomfortable? No, that's a great question. So when we played now, they're a different team because they had, you know, the injuries to Jamal and I think Porter, uh, Michael Porter was out too. We played him when I was in, in Golden State two years ago on our way to the, to, to the finals. One of the things we felt as a staff, we, we, we said, hey, let him, not let him score, make him work to score, but we weren't going to send a double team. If he got 50, he got 50. <clears throat> what he can't do, and what we felt his his team feeds off of is if he gets 26 and 10 or 32 and 12. And mm -hmm. when I talk about 10 and 12, I'm talking about assists, not rebounds, because right. he's going to rebound. So if you do that, not only are you allowing your, you know, their guy to get his and feel good about getting his, but everybody else is feeling good about it too. And that gives them an added advantage because now they're connected. And so we felt, you know, let, let him score because if he scores and we can kind of limit everybody else, uh, then you may have a chance, but you don't have a chance if he scores and he's getting everybody involved because now they go from, in my opinion, they're already a, a really good team, but they go to a phenomenal team once that happens. So you can't stop them. So you take something else away. And, and, you know, the reality of it is we, our, our last game here in Sacramento against Golden State, I felt we could have overcome Steph's 50 or 50, whatever, 55, whatever he had, if we wouldn't have given up 18 offensive rebounds and we wouldn't have missed double-digit free throws. If we, you know, take care of and the 18 offensive rebounds, I think led to 20-something second-chance points, yeah. and then you missed double-digit free throws, those two things you can't, uh, you can't make up for. But Steph getting 50? And everybody else kind of get what they got. In my opinion, we could have had a better chance of winning if we took care of those two things. Yeah, it's it's I don't know what you do about Jokic. His his efficiency is so crazy. Yeah. I think if you just make him from outrageously ridiculously efficient to just good efficiency, you might have a win. Because right. I, I don't know what you he's you can't seem to affect him. He shoots 63% on average. Brian, he, he's gonna score. But now, is he going to score plus help everybody else or plus make the game easier for everybody else? Because when that happens, in my that's when you have, you have very little chance. So Miami plays a ton of zone, probably most in the league. And it was funny. When the Celtics were down at half uh, in game seven the other day, Bontemps and I were there, there were people in the stands screaming, get the ball in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> get the ball them you know they're putting their eighth grade uh zone offense of principles yeah we know get the ball the middle we got it boston missed a bunch of shots obviously the zone if you pass the ball through it you're going to create open shots and if you miss them you miss them spo has just over the years gone more and more zone like it's just he keeps leaning on it why does it work why does it work i mean there was a reason why he didn't play it in the nba for decades why is it working yeah, you know, the, the first thing is is true. I, if, if you're able to consistently get the ball to the middle of the floor uh, with a guy that can make plays, especially, you'll have a chance to – you should have a chance to beat it. And, you know, watching the game – I didn't, I didn't watch it close, uh, but watching the game as a fan, I recall I, I recall um, uh, Tatum catching it once, in the I think, in the second half, 
and he shot a shot that was open and he, and he, and he shot it quickly. He rushed it and he missed the shot badly. But if he, I don't know if he had a different feel when he caught it at that time, he literally could have caught it, took one dribble and, and probably dunked it because the middle of the zone was wide open, but he just caught it, turned and shot it. And, and that's how you usually attack a zone. I, I, I think Spo did a fantastic job of mixing it up. And, yeah. and when, when you mix it up like that, the reality of it is not a lot of teams practice uh, how to attack the zone. And so you hope whatever your man offense is, you hope that when you run it, you're able to attack the zone that way. And, and so it get, it causes a little hesitation. The one th- thing that, that, that Miami did in that zone, they were extremely physical and very aggressive. And it wasn't tight. That meant they really stretched the zone. Yeah. And at times they denied guys. I, I saw Duncan Robinson. Somebody was on the wing and he's, he's playing the bottom left side. He's all the way out on that wing, like hitting the guy and, you know, denying. And then the ball gets swung and he's flying back to the paint. And so when you have that uh, kind of uh, connectivity with that group and you're as physical as they are, plus you cover the amount of ground that the way they challenge shots in that series was off the charts. So if you're challenging shots that way, it just looks like you, you feel like you constantly have bodies in front of you and you don't know where to go and it speeds you up and gets you confused. And, and I, I really th- thought that's what it did to, to, to Boston. Yeah. They, they, whenever Miami calls for the zone, this is hardly uh, inside information. It's they hold up the number two, that's their call from the bench for zone. And they call it kind of late. Yeah. Um, like sometimes they're going to, they, you know, they have a plan coming out of the timeout when they maybe do it like the next second possession or whatever. But sometimes, the, you know, it's always off a score. Sometimes they'll score and like they'll be running back up and Spolster will scream, you know, two. And they, yeah. they, they know to quickly, quickly how to, how to move into the position. But it, it is, they don't play it like six straight possessions in a row. Correct. You know, yeah. and sometimes like coming out of a timeout, they'll, they'll play, they'll put full court pressure on yeah. and then yeah. fall back into the zone. Yeah, it's different. Go ahead, Bontemps. You mentioned before, Mike, about the will that the Heat have collectively. Yeah. And, and yeah. we've seen we've seen Jimmy Butler in particular lift his game and lift his team up a couple times now uh, in the playoffs over the past few years. Certainly safe to say he's shown to have a penchant for doing that. Have you does he remind you of anybody in the way he's been able to sort of go from obviously being a great player in the regular season, but to consistently take him, his game and his team up a level in the playoffs like this and sort of push them farther than people would expect? Now, I, people are going to kill me for saying this because they're going to think I'm comparing these two players. But, but Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> comparing their, I'm not comparing their games. I'm comparing exactly what you spoke on at first, the, the, the word will. What, what Jimmy Butler has done during this playoff series, and, like, I can feel through the screen. and. In my opinion, that's Draymond Green for Golden State. The way that he wills that group to another level is, is, is off the charts. I, I remember they were playing, I think it was Memphis or Minnesota during the regular season, and they were down. They needed to win the game to continue. And they were down 20 or something like that in the first half. <clears throat> and Steph, I think, had a great game. Maybe Clay did too. But, but, but Draymond's ability to will that group and get that win was reminiscent of what he's done in the past in, in when I was with them in our finals runs. I, I mean, he was the glue, 
the, the you know, he, he was the defense. He was the, uh, he was spectacular in ways that people don't even know. And it starts with that word right there. So in my opinion, those two guys are in a category, uh, almost in my opinion, uh, uh, by themselves when it comes to that, because there are other great players that can make other players, other players that are average become really good and stuff like that. And guys that can rally the troops. But when you talk about a player that could take a group of guys and get them over the hump game after game after game after game after game, that is hard to do. And, and you feel that with, with, with Jimmy. And it makes everybody on that team probably tougher than what they are. You know, Sounds like a you series know. MVP to me, McMahon. Oh, stop it. Caleb Martin should have won. This, we're you not going to and listen, Caleb, Caleb Martin should have won Eastern Conference Finals MVP. We, he's just giving me a argument. he's giving me a hard time, listen, Mike, because I voted listen, for Jimmy. It, that's all. Yeah, that's all it is. We're, we're, we're not we're not going to get into that one. I actually wanted to ask you though, in a way, about another award winner. They they call it the Jerry West Award. We've been calling it the Cajones Factor Award here. So <laughs> you're coaching, you're coaching that guy, De'Aaron Fox, on a regular basis, and you you know you mentioned Jimmy's will. Part of that is. Just this unwavering confidence. It's, it's not just game to game, but he can play terribly on the offensive end for 46 minutes. And then, boom, the guy's scoring 10 points in the last two minutes. You know, Miami didn't win that game, but it's just an example of what you see from him. Jamal Murray's that same way. You know, that, that game he had the 23 point fourth quarter, he was three of 15 at one point, pretty deep into the, the third quarter. What do these guys have where when it is crunch time, you know, nut cutting time, whatever's happened up to that point is just totally irrelevant. You And no matter what you believe, hey, if they've got the ball in their hands, we've got a really good chance. Yeah, it's the confidence level, obviously, is off the charts. But more than anything else, and people say this all the time, so this is not anything new, but they're going to have – you're going to have a short-term memory. If, if your memory – is is short term uh you will have a chance to be exactly what you said that guy because uh, there aren't many of them a guy misses three four shots that's impactful that's a psychological disadvantage that he's going to have down the stretch especially when it comes time to uh making a big play whether it's for himself or, or, or for his teammates and we've seen a lot of great players in the regular season not step up come playoff time especially when the game's on the line because they don't have that short-term memory that you need to need to have in order to get over the hump. So you take the confidence level. Obviously, a lot of great ones have that. That has to be high. But the most important thing is you gotta have a short-term memory because you're gonna make mistakes and you gotta be okay with it, knowing that you might make two mistakes, but you're gonna turn out 10 things that are positive for your team down the road. And so you can live with it. You know your teammates gonna live with it. Jimmy says it all the time in his interviews that he thanks his teammates, he thanks his coaching staff because they help him have that belief that he needs to have in order to be great, and he's shown it. Speaking of late-game execution, I didn't know this until Bontemps reminded me of it. Today is the 16th anniversary, Game 5 in Detroit, Mike. (laughs) The 48 special, 29 of the last 30. I think Drew Gooden made a free throw. I think it was 25 um, in a row, but not positive. Okay. I'll check uh, right now while we're talking. And uh, God, I remember it was just, it was hot that night in the palace. Oh, it was a oh. hot night. It was a, 
It was warm in there. I think LeBron needed an IV after the game. What What do you remember about that night? So I, I remember uh, <clears throat> Detroit. Detroit took a timeout, and uh, and speaking of uh, young great assistant Mike Mike Malone, I, you know we we go to the free throw line and, and and we meet as a staff, and the players go into the huddle, and you know Mike. Great coach, a lot of great ideas back then. He ran our defense, he ran our offense. He, you know, he's offense coordinator, defense coordinator at different times. Uh, and I leaned on him or relied on him heavily <clears throat> during my tenure there. And I'll never forget, he, he was like, hey, we got to tell, you know, them to do this or LeBron to do that or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We ain't telling them. <laughs> we gonna let him keep doing what he's doing so we're gonna stay right here until this timeout's almost over and then i'm gonna go and then i'm gonna go in that huddle and i'm gonna listen to what he has to tell me <laughs> and so that's what we did we stayed with a little coaching huddle i walked to the team huddle I kind of looked at LeBron because he was talking and I just was nodding my head. <laughs> I put their hands in and I said, one, two, three, team, let's go. <laughs> we just You're making fun of yourself. You're making fun of yourself. I, yeah, it, it, people make, will say that I'm just saying this because you're here. You coached a hell of a game that night. If you go back, it's on, it's on NBA TV. By the way, it's almost unwatchable now because oh, of yes. how bad the offense yeah. was. <laughs> yes. um, honestly, I... <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Okay. It was great defense. Here's the thing. This is a bit of a controversial statement. I've said it before. I don't think it was one of the 10 best LeBron playoff games he's ever played. That it, it was because he'd never done it before, and you guys were such a big underdog, and he was carrying yeah. it. When you have going, like, you go watch it, and then you go, like, watch clips from LeBron in tw- 2018, but you coached I- a good game because the, na- the nature, I'm telling you, if you watch it on, NBA TV when it comes on, you watch it and you watch the moves that Mike made. I'm not just saying this, I swear. You coached a hell of a game. Probably people probably, you know, you're joking about what you did, but you know, the substitutions you made and the in the matchup changes you made, like it was it was an absolutely jaw-dropping game. It, but it was an ugly game, man. Ooh, it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. It was ugly. It was like, well, hey, but we we were we were one of the first teams. To switch a lot because if you think of it, that's kind of why I started Larry Hughes that year. Because when you have Larry, you got then you had uh, uh, Sasha, LeBron, Drew, and Z couldn't switch. But when we brought Andy in, it allowed us at times to switch one through five. You know, with with that group, and and so we did some of that against Detroit just because you, know, you got uh, uh, Rasheed and you got Chauncey, those guys playing high pick and roll with Rasheed picking and popping. You can't show and get back to Rasheed at seven feet, shooting the ball the way he does. You can't go underneath Chauncey with him shooting the ball. So we, we were forced to switch quite a bit, at, you know, in that series and in our length, especially starting at 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 the, at the point guard spot, helped out. When you would win seventy, or maybe it was like 81, 80 or something, you had such a smile on your face. You're like, got him, got him. Uh, now that's now that's a halftime score. Before we let you go. We got to talk about your team. It's a spectacular year, man. I know it was a disappointing ending game seven, but man, what a great year in Sacramento. The fans are crazy. What's it like for you living in Sacramento right now? I, Brian, it's, it's awesome. I tell you, and I'm not saying this, you know, just cause I live here, but uh, I had friends when I was down in the Bay, I had friends that actually lived here 
and worked in the Bay just because <clears throat> the cost of living is a lot better or whatever. And they always raved about it. And I had only been up here really when we played games, but being able to be here full time uh, has been a lot of fun. Fantastic city. Um, the people are great. They know their basketball, but, but more importantly, they're passionate about the basketball. And even when we started the season off in, in, in preseason, you know, I think we went undefeated in preseason. I mean, the, the, just the excitement around here was <laughs> crazy. And I'm like, you know, it's only the preseason, but they didn't care. And as the year went along, it just, it, it got to a level that was unrecognizable by me. And this is not a knock to any of the fans that uh, uh, the cities that I worked in before, but, but this place is truly special. Uh, it, it, the arena, how loud it gets, the passion before the games have to get, it's all real. And so uh, extremely enjoyable from that standpoint, the facilities are off the charts. Uh, I enjoy my entire group. And, and, and the biggest thing is I, you know, I give, a lot of credit to our players. They allowed me to coach them uh, from day one. I mean, this this is a player's league. And uh, if you understand that and you try to help put them in the best possible position so that they can uh, show their strengths, then you may have a chance. Weird. You, guys, Go you guys pulled off something that's really, really difficult to do. That's You, you made Mark Spears look like a genius. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, listen. You you inherit this team. You take over this team that passionate fan base that is starved for success. I mean, you know, Arco Arena, sixty. I always would say the the playoff drive was old enough to have a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. When Spears goes on there, goes on NBA Today in the summer, and is ah oh, playoff team, no doubt. What what are you thinking? I felt this from the beginning. You you ask any of our players, you, shoot, you can ask our owner from day one. I, when I looked this, at this roster from the outside looking in, I, I said initially, I said, okay, you got Fox, you got Domus, we got HP. So to me right there, they gave us a chance. And then, you know, we were able to get Leak and Kevin and, and, and draft Keegan. And then, so I'm like, okay. And th- there were some great pieces to this puzzle that I thought if we can get them connected, especially right away, then we would have a chance. And so I spoke playoffs from day one. And I will attribute part of this to, uh, uh, to, to, to my thought process on this to Randy Bennett, head coach at St. Mary's. Talked to a lot of people when I took the job. He was the one, the, the one that stood out the most. I asked him, because he, he, if you think about it, he took over St. Mary's. I don't know if there was a worse college program in the country than St. Mary's when he took over. So I talked a lot about that program and how he built it and all that stuff. And But one of the questions I asked him, I said, if you had one regret looking back in your process of trying to build that program into what it is today, what would that be? Without hesitation, he said that he would have worked on getting his group of players to believe sooner than what he did. Because he goes, you know what, I knew we were going to eventually be good because we'd recruit the right guys. They were going to work hard change the culture, boom, boom, He said, but I didn't pay attention to the belief aspect uh, as much as I should have. And, and I, st- I was like, okay, well, can you explain further? He said they'd be in a lot of games because they had the culture was changed, playing hard, the players. He said, but there'd be three minutes to go in the game. Mm-hmm. And they might be down one or up three. And they, the team would look up at the scoreboard and they'd realize it's a one-possession game. And they'd be like, oh, wow, I don't know if we're supposed to win. <laughs> and the other team 
would see, okay, St. Mary's. So, hey, let's, let's, let's turn it up. Let's turn it up now and let's just run them out the gym. And he said they lost six or seven games that first year that they should have won if he would have convinced them to truly believe that they were better than what they were. And so from day one, I was like, no, 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 this is not about making the playoffs. It's everything was when we are in the playoffs, mm. this is what we got to do or this is what we can't do. From day one to the whole throughout the whole year, that's how we spoke. Well, and to that point, Mike, it was really impressive. We talked about this when the series is over on the podcast, but throughout that series, whenever you, we, I was laughing, whenever you talked to Lisa or anybody during one of the quarter breaks, all you'd ever say was, we got to keep playing faster. We got to keep pushing the pace. We could like, you really, part of the belief was believing in the way you guys had played all year. And you guys did that all the way through that series and people didn't necessarily think you could play that fast in the playoffs. Right. What did you, beyond that, what did you learn about your group going through that experience the first time playing, obviously, against a championship caliber team in Golden State? And and what did that show you about where you guys have to grow to get farther than that going forward? Because as you very correctly said, all throughout the season, your goal wasn't just to get to the playoffs even this year. It was to go farther than that. And you guys showed you're more than capable of doing that. The biggest thing is, is, when I look back on that series is I truly believe that we can be a more physical defensive team than what we showed during the regular season. And the physicality that we displayed in the playoffs uh, was tenfold what we displayed during the regular season. And if we can have some carry over from that with that from day one, while maintaining or even getting slightly better offensively, we will be better prepared to make the run that we expect to run come next playoff, uh, next year in the playoffs. Uh, our regular season defensively, we all know it wasn't great. Part of it, in my opinion, part of that, in my opinion, was our lack of physicality. And I was concerned about that uh, throughout the whole year. I was concerned about that going into the playoffs. Uh, but our guys showed that they have that ability to be as physical as you need to be, to be competitive on that end of the floor. It can't start this year. It can't start for, for us come playoff time. It's got to start from day one right now. Whenever we're on the floor, we got to play with a sense of urgency or physicality that will carry us to where we need to go uh, come next, next playoff run. Man's already working. Thank you for taking some time out with us, Mike. Hope you enjoy a couple of days off and hey, you got uh draft and free agency and summer league to prepare for. So thank you so much and good luck to you. Thank you. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. 
They call it running a business for a reason, because every day feels like a sprint to the finish. It takes a lot of work to make it all work. But with Clover and Merchant One, you're always a step ahead. Now is the perfect time to upgrade your point of sale technology. We make it easy to accept payments, run your entire business, and sell more. Clover plus Merchant One, better business solutions. Go to clover.com M1 to get started. Okay, but before we move on, it's time for trivia. Trivia is brought to you by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Bond temps, you're up. And now to present today's trivia question, the whiz of the quiz, Tim Bontemps. So we've got some timely trivia. The Denver Nuggets uh, make their first NBA Finals appearance tonight in game one against Miami. They were one of six teams that had never made the finals before this year. Who are the other five? Grizzlies. That's one. Kings. That is incorrect. What? Kings have won championships. Kings have won championships. I mean, come on. That is a a massive technicality. No, it's not. The the franchise has made the finals. Uh, Hornets. Hornets are correct. That's two. Timberwolves. That's three. Woo, he's on fire. There's two more. All right, two more. Wait. Okay, you said one of six. Uh, the Nets have not. No, yes, they have. Sorry, Jason Kidd. I should know that. Uh, the Hawks Clippers? have not made the NBA Finals. The Clippers have made it. That's four. No, the Hawks have back in the Bob Pettit days. By the way, I thought Tatum was going to pass Pettit on all-time leading score, playoff leading scoring list, and I was going to get excited about that. Um, Bob Pettit played for the Hawks. That's right. Yeah, Bob Pettit did That's, play for the Hawks. Again, I should have known these things. Uh, the other one is the New Orleans Pelicans. We already said them. Who said them? No, Brian the Hornets did. and the Pelicans are two different, two different things. Well, yeah, not anymore. Bozo. Well, they're not. What do you mean not anymore? They have different histories. They're, they're two. There's, they're literally Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets are a new team, fellas. Yeah, I agree. They're, they're an expansion Hornets, team. And now I'm saying Pelicans. Yeah, there's still one other team you haven't said yet. Wait a minute. The, the Hornets and nor the Pelicans have made it. Correct. Separate. Correct. And there's still one more? Yes. No, there's you said Hornets, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Clippers. Clippers. There's a fifth team. Grizzlies. There's a fifth team. Math. We're gonna need, one to five. We're gonna, need a, we're gonna need a forensic review on just what happened here because I was in the same boat as McMahon. Yeah. Just, there's we, one other team that has not made the finals that you haven't said. Clippers, Grizzlies, he said the Timberwolves, Pelicans. Bozo. Okay, you were too busy yelling. The Timberwolves were the fifth no, team. He said it oh my God. a long time okay. ago. Hey, 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 hey. Bontemps, you're not going to want to listen back to that. So I'll just say, great well, question. Those are, those are the five teams for the listeners okay. at home. Great right. question. Terrible execution. Did he say that? The, all right, never mind. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, before we go, I did want to talk about Mike Brown's former team, the Golden State Warriors, who saw Bob Meyer step aside. I don't know if I want to use the word awkward press conference first off Bontemps was brought this up to me earlier today it's not often that you see an exit press conference for a leaving executive Mm -hmm. that's unusual um but it was like so he did part of the press conference sort of announcing his decision and his feelings and then joe lakeup came up there and was full on joe lakeup (laughs) he was like we're still gonna win (laughs) we don't care what they what rules they put down whatever like that we're still gonna win uh i i actually loved it i i love joe lakeup being joe lakeup Um, joe was always entertaining 
and uh i also i loved um when he was like yeah we're um we're gonna work bob through the end of june his contract is through june 30th and we're gonna work <laughs> through the end of june and like i have no idea what they discussed about but it I just to be clear, I don't know. Okay. But it looked to me like that was the first time Bob had heard that. He just sort of was like looked <laughs> over and he goes, Somebody tell my wife. <laughs> I, I'm that sure was, he'll be working real hard as a consultant. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, I don't even know what to make of that. It's not off. You know, the Warriors are such a put together organization. Okay. Sometimes they have little skirmishes, like one guy punching another guy, but, you know, they, they handle their business pretty well. And that was a little bit unusual and just an indication of how this has got them off balance a little bit, Bontemps. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not, like I said, it's, I mean, it made me think of, obviously it was vastly different circumstances, but when Avery Johnson got fired by the Nets way back in the day, I remember he did a, he came back and did a press conference at their gym, uh, their practice gym and announced he got like a, like a, I got fired. I came back to talk about a thing, which has always stuck with me as being very strange. These circumstances are obviously far different than those were. It was an iconic quote that happened the day that Avery got fired. He, you know, he was, he was coach of the month in November and he got fired in December. Does that sound right? He got fired on December 27th. Okay. So Prokhorov holds a press conference the day he fires Avery. They had a game well, that it was, night. It was a few days later, actually, because he'd actually, he'd gotten back from his thing, but it, it, the enough. quote still fits. No, the quote, I'm just giving it for All context. Right. I'm sure you're right. You were covering that at the time. And somebody asked sort of a innocuous question to Prokhorov. When did you decide you were going to fire Avery? And he was like, oh, last week. Okay. Why did you wait till this week to uh, fire Avery? And he goes, well, I was, I'm not going to try to do his accent. He goes, well, I was in British Columbia. I can't remember if he said British Columbia or Alberta. And he's like, the snow was up here. And he like made it. He was in Whistler, Whistler, British Columbia. <laughs> he's like, he made an indication like the snow was up to his chest. He's basically like, yeah, I, I wanted to ski for a few more days. So I decided, you know, <laughs> I decided to, to fire him, but I wanted to ski. So, and I appreciated the answer because it was honest. I always appreciated Prokhorov press conferences. He was always entertaining. But yeah, I mean, look, it's this obviously has been a long time coming in some respects, right? I mean, you go all the way back mm -hmm. to December when Adrian first reported that Bob was in the final year of his deal. And there wasn't really, you know, at that point, a lot of traction on contract talks. And you know, look, I think if you want to look at this pretty realistically, this is going to be a very difficult and not so fun job going forward. I mean, it's never, it's never fun to preside over the decline of a dynastic team. You, you know, obviously the, the most famous example. You didn't of that hear Joe Lacob say they're going to keep winning. Um, I don't know what I, you're talking I, about. I, I understand. Dude, timelines uh, is back, baby. Well, you go back, obviously the most famous example of this is you go back 25 years to when the last dance bulls split up, but you know, you go back to when the Celtics in the early nineties were kind of on the downside with bird Parish and McHale go back to the Spurs with Duncan and Manu and those guys. And they eventually all retired and they tailed off. Like no matter how great a run uh, you the have, Spurs tailed off when Kawhi decided he'd had enough of San Antonio, but the other example, well, but I'm we'll just, with. I, I know, but I'm just saying at some point, the different there's different circumstances across the board. Mm -hmm. Right. But at some point, no matter how great a run you have, you're going to hit a downside. And the Warriors are approaching, especially with the new rules, even though Joe Lacob, as you said, said, who cares about the CBA? We're going to win anyway. You've got Clay Thompson entering his mid-30s, Draymond Green entering his mid-30s, Steph Curry in his mid-30s. There's a shelf life for all those guys separate from what happens with Draymond's contract this summer, what happens with Clay's contract next summer, what, what do they try to do with Jordan Poole this summer? 
you know, they're out a couple pick, you know, that at least one pick going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just a very difficult, challenging job. And if you're Bob Myers, a guy who could literally do anything and you've had an incredible 12 year run with the franchise and you've dealt with all sorts of drama on a thousand different levels and you have a chance to take a step back and take a breather and see what you want to do next, whether it's in basketball or not. It's hard to argue with him walking away at this point because, you know, he's got a pretty much universal Q rating in the league and he's got the ability to do, I think, basically whatever he wants going forward. Yeah, and I've seen and heard people basically jump into the conclusion Bob Myers is out because he doesn't want to be the one to have to tear it down. And essentially, this means the teardown is coming. We'll see. I, I, I think it's too early to jump to that conclusion, though. Um, especially the way that Joe Lacob's talking. But, you know, this summer, you, you, like you said, it's it's not just, hey, Clay's going to last year of his contract. It's Clay wants to get paid again. It's not just Draymond's got a player option. They made it clear they do want him back uh, at the end of the season. But Draymond's going to want an extension. And then clearly there's some buyer's remorse on Jordan Poole's contract. Um, is there, you know, can you find a taker for that? Are you willing to just try to salary dump it? Do you need some kind of something? Yeah, I mean, there it's it's a difficult job for sure. Um, I don't necessarily know that it, I, I, I think it's too early to say that uh, they're going to blow this thing up. And, and uh, honestly, I'd be surprised just because Steph is still good enough to be the best player in the championship team. And so, to be clear, I wasn't saying I think they're going to blow it up either. It's just there's a mm-hmm. lot of there's a lot. It's a challenging job ahead, irregardless of right. whether you do decide to blow it up or not, because there's well, a lot of difficult decisions ahead for that team. Here's what it seems like, and this isn't finalized yet, but there's an understanding. I believe that the new rules will go into effect not for next season, but the phase in starts. A lot, a lot of them go into effect in the 24-25 season. A couple of them notably go into effect this coming off season, including not being able to use the tax MLE if you're a certain level over the cap. So for example, Golden State cannot add another Dante DiVincenzo this summer. They're not going to have the ability to do that, which I don't think he they was can a pretty afford significant. It. Well, even if they can't, even if they decide they can't afford it, they can't. And he was a pretty significant piece for them last year. Right. But I think the point is, is that the Warriors can probably squeeze one <clears throat> more year out <clears throat> at enormous cost, but before the new rules come in that really make everything onerous. The second apron is not going to come in until 24, 25. So if Joe Lakip is willing to go over 400 million, which is what it would cost with Jordan Poole's contract coming on and re-signing Draymond, whatever that number they come to, it's going to be somewhere in the 400 millions. If he was willing to do that, I do think they can hold it together for one more year. Mm-hmm. 24, 25. It's very hard for me to see that any team is going to want to be in the in the second apron at that time and that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the clippers the clippers is a team that nobody talks about the clippers uh Kawhi and paul george are going the last years of their contracts i don't know what's going to happen there i don't have reporting on what they're going to do um but i think you know this is targeting the clippers and warriors and um Mm -hmm. so i I, definitely possible somebody would go into the second apron it'll obviously happen eventually but I think the Warriors have one more year where they can try to go for it. And so, however, it's Steve Kerr's last year of his contract and it's Clay's last year of his contract. And so knowing that you're not going to know what that world's going to be like, are you roll? Are you, are you going to roll with that without, you know, extending them? I don't know. And, and, and if you do, 
you know, how how are Clay and Draymond going to handle that? You know, is that I it's not just a business decision. There's obviously a human element there. Um, two proud guys who have helped deliver four championships to that franchise. Uh, Draymond certainly isn't one who's known to bite his tongue. Really? We'll see. Yeah, we will see. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Baseball is back. Get your ballpark on with tickets from Vivid Seats or enjoy hockey and baseball in all their glory with courtside seats. Whoever you're rooting for, there's nothing like the thrill of seeing your favorite team live. Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. One more transaction in the NBA front office market. The Knicks did not, I don't, shouldn't say they didn't. Scott Perry is leaving the Knicks. His contract mm-hmm. is up. He was a holdover from the previous regime. He was a general manager um, when Leon Rose was hired, when he was there under Steve Mills. And he remained in the job, got at least one contract extension, maybe even two. Got one contract extension for sure. Bit of a odd situation where he is sort of the number two, I think. Would you call him number two, Bontemps? I mean, there's a there's a collection of people in there with Leon Rose. I mean, you've got you've yeah. well, you've got William, you got World Wide West, William Wesley, you've got Gerson Rosas, you've got uh Gerson Rosas got, is like a consultant. But he's around uh, all the time. He was doing yeah. a lot of a yeah. lot of yapping on the phone to other teams. Yeah, you've <laughs> got Scott true. Perry. Uh, Scott Perry's obviously a longtime exec who's been around a long time. He's there. You've got guys like Jamie Matthews now in Houston who've been there forever. Then you've obviously mm-hmm. got Tom Thibodeau on the bench. He's certainly not a wallflower either. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of voices. Uh, no one has ever described Tom Thibodeau as a wallflower. <laughs> he definitely isn't that. <clears throat> so anyway, but I do think it's interesting to see how the Knicks approach this off season. Um, they have some business they have to handle with their own team, primarily contract extension for Emmanuel quickly. And also they got to sign Josh Hart. They can't let Josh Hart, Josh Hart walk. Um, they got to get that done. Um, and then, you know, they're obviously a candidate for any star player who comes available. They're obviously mm-hmm. a candidate to trade for them. They have the expiring contract of Evan Fournier. And they can use that in any type of deal to help uh, get the money right. Um, I don't think that they'll be, uh, I think that's what they intend to do is hold him, you know, for the, for usage for something like that. So um, I think the thing about the Knicks, they were rewarded for their patience on not trading for Donovan Mitchell. They did not um, give the, 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 um, the premium price and they took a lot of heat for it and they sort of take a heat for it in some corners Ended up on the right side of it because Jalen Brunson was great. Josh Hart was great. Randall had a bounce back season. All those guys have huge value. They still have all their picks. They can still do things with it. Um, I think they felt good about exercising patience, and I think they're hoping to keep the patience there. And what I mean by that is 
if a guy comes across the boards who they can trade for, they're looking for a guy that can get them from fifth place to first. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily they're, from fifth place to fourth, fifth place to they're third. Not, they're not hoping for patience. They're hoping for the process. I don't know if I don't know if that's coming, but I mean that's they've looked at that situation in Philly, and there's been a hope in New York that the that stuff in Philly would go haywire to the point where Embiid would ask out. I don't know the percentage odds on that. I would say they are slim, but that's been the hope. Now, is there going to be another star who becomes available who's worth pushing all those picks, you know, in, in the middle of the table? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who else it would be. Um, you know, let me just link- not that they would trade for him, but let me just let me just throw a name out there. Like, let's mm-hmm. say Toronto decides to rebuild, and their pl- I'm not. I don't. I don't want to be aggregated. So, like, let's just say right. One of the Toronto players. Hypothetically, there's a Toronto player that may become available. If you're the Knicks, you probably would have a good chance to trade for one of those Toronto players, or. You can aggregate me and say the hypothetical here is Pascal Siakam. Now, the question is, how many picks are you willing to throw in on that? Like, honestly, if there's a guy like Embiid, I think I don't think they would stop until they said a, a team said, that's all your picks and we're still not doing it. Siakam, how, how many picks are you willing to give up? And which picks? Well, my it's point not is, just how many, it's which. Would they, would they do one deal and take themselves out of doing the other? Yeah, that's I think, that's my point. Yeah, I think the the way the Donovan Mitchell thing went, I think is instructive, and in that they looked at it and said, "We're not selling the farm for Donovan Mitchell. We will sell. We will we will get him for a price we feel is worth doing, and we're not going beyond that." I, as you said before, I said ever since they made the trade, I thought it was the right decision. I think if you look mm-hmm. at how this year played out, it was the right decision. Now the question is, can they continue to be that diligent in their process going forward? Because the Knicks have not been known as a patient team over time and go back to 2011, you know, Carmelo Anthony recently retired. And one of the huge pivot points for this franchise over the past 20 years was Carmelo was going to be a free agent in a few months. He clearly wanted to go to the Knicks and they, that whole situation had been Mm -hmm. played out where Carmelo came in the summer could have really gone in a different direction, but instead there was a rush to trade for him, a rush to make sure he didn't get traded to the nets, especially and they wound up trading every single thing they ever had. And while Carmelo had a terrific career with the Knicks, they mm. never sniffed winning anything because the team never had a chance to really be good enough to contend in the East after that deal. And that that's where the Knicks right now, they got a really nice team. They've got more assets than just about any team in the league. Mm-hmm. Can they stay to their process and wait for, like you said, whoever the real difference-making player is, somebody to come along because we could sit here right now and say, we're not sure who might be available or what guy will be upset. But if the history of the NBA has shown anything, it's that guys become available and guys get upset. That's right. There'll be somebody. Yeah. And And wait for somebody. They'll be in good shape. Oklahoma city has more assets. Utah has more assets. The Knicks have the advantage of guys that would want to play in New York with a playoff team you know, with the understanding that if you're traded to the Knicks, Jalen Brunson will not be included right. in the deal. So you're going I'm talking to have, about I'm talking about places where guys would be traded where right. they would have. So you're going to have a, a, a bona fide co-star uh, already in place and a guy who's proven that he can adapt his game. I will say one thing with, with the Donovan Mitchell thing last year was it wasn't just about the talent. They'd already done – they'd already made a really, really – good bet on Brunson. 
And I think there was, I know there was, there was concern within the Knicks of, Hey, even though we love both of these guys individually, putting these two small guards together, does that put a below championship ceiling on the team? Um, and, and, you know, that's maybe why they weren't willing to push more picks into that. Well, look, Donovan Mitchell's also to that point, had never made one all NBA team, right? Like he's a really good player, mm-hmm. but if it was Luka Doncic who was available, like they probably would have gone all in to get him. you know, like that's, that's the difference. Like, is there going to be a guy like that that comes available? I don't know. You know, some elite, super elite, uh, unquestionable superstar, but Donovan Mitchell is a great player. He wasn't that. And I didn't think it made sense yeah. for all for that reason and others for them to go all in for him then. And I think if they go for a similar guy, they're going to trap themselves in a similar place instead of trying to really swing for the fences. Yeah. And so like Damian Lillard, I think there would be very similar concerns in addition to obviously the age. Right. Well, I, you know, when I hear people talking about Damian, it's still a gigantic if. Yeah, for sure. Also um, talking about a gigantic amount of money for a guy entering his mid thirties too. Dame, I don't see Dame playing next to Jalen Brunson. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I I don't think I'm just throwing out a name who I saw. I was watching TV this morning. They were speculating on uh, trade possibilities. Don't watch uh, TV. Don't a watch handsome, TV. a handsome fellow with really well uh, gelled hair. A quaff, um, if you will. <laughs> I never. I, I actually I, I didn't have from, enough in I today. I know how to spell that, but I don't. I wouldn't quite <laughs> sure. I, I, I probably would have gone like co-if, and I don't know. I try not to use words I can't pronounce. Um, I'm just, limited but, vocabulary. You know, as Dame we is Dame is being. There's a lot of it is speculation at this point. To be clear, on the possibility of him being on the trade block at some point this summer. But I'm just saying, I don't think that's despite the fact that he's a Hall of Famer and still can light it up. I don't think that would be a good fit for the Knicks. And I, I will I, say I this though, Dame hasn't said what he would do because. Dame came out at the end of the season and said, I basically don't want to play with a guy who's going to take two or three years to develop. Then the Blazers get the number three seed, number three pick. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe Dame changed his mind. Like until I hear him double down and, you know, make it clear that he wants that pick traded, I'm not going to assume. I'm not going to assume. Although he was, he, yeah, you give him, he has the freedom to change his stance or whatever, but he was pretty damn clear at the end of the season. And like I know Jason Quick, when he wrote something about the uh, the Blazers situation after the lottery, a guy who's covered the Blazers for years, he did reach out to Dame, who you know he opted not to comment, didn't 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 uh, text him back, which you know that that's well within his rights. But if he if he wanted to make it clear that uh, hey, number three pick, listen, we can I think we can work with this. There's plenty of avenues for him to get that uh, stance out there, and he has chosen not to so far. That's true. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We will be back to you uh, on Sunday uh, on this feed. We're doing some crossover pods after the games with um, our buddy Zach Lowe, um, as we have for the last number of years in the finals. But uh, as far as your Hoop Collective fans, we'll be back with these two gents and Jackson um, on Sunday when uh, game two will be played. Who knows? Could be Heat one nothing. It will be their seventh consecutive time that they're one nothing. So, Or the Nuggets will blow them out. We'll see. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. 